The passage is 1 Peter 17 to chapter 2, verse 3. Chapter 1, 17. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that is not with perishable things, but such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers on the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of any malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Thanks. Uh, thank you so much, Taylor, for reading. Please keep that open. We're going to look at that for a few minutes together now. Hi, my name is Morris. I'm one of the leaders of the church. And it's great to see you here. Um, the, what Taylor said there and what was on the screen didn't quite match. So to be clear, there is a men's event, so please sign up for that. And also there is an evening service. And if you, there's lots of people here today. If you find this service big and loud, our evening service, we do smaller, we talk to each other more. There's a chance to pray together. We sing a bit more. So if you'd like to come back this evening, we'll be continuing our uh, uh, series looking at feeling anxious and overwhelmed and burned out and how being a Christian can help us with that. So please feel free to come along then. Um, yeah, we're going to look at 1 Peter uh, 1 and 2. Before we do that, I'm going to pray. So let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word that speaks to us. And we pray that you would open it so that we see great things in your word today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to begin today by telling you about two films that I'm a big fan of. Here's the first one, Mary Poppins Returns. Mary Poppins Returns, what a great film. And in fact, this week I was preparing this talk in the Central Library reading room. So I thought to get in the mood, I'll listen to Mary Poppins Returns, put on my headphones, put on Mary Poppins Returns on my phone. Thought it's not very loud, turned it up louder then realised everyone was staring at me because I hadn't switched my Bluetooth on. <laughs> so everybody got to share in Mary Poppins Returns. The opening scene of Mary Poppins Returns, the scene is black, and a little oboe plays a little tune. Do, 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 do. Thank you very much. That's how it goes. It's a line that you don't recognise when you first hear the opening of the film. It's just a little tune. And then later on in the film you realise that line is the beginning of a huge song with an orchestra and people singing and people swimming in the sea and a trippy scene, actually, where they sail through the sea in a bath, which is the nature of the film. It's what's called an overture 
where you get a little hint of what's coming and it's new to you, and then later on you realise that's part of a big, huge production. Come back to that. Another film I love, Avengers Assemble. Uh, you might know this film. They're all in New York. The Avengers are fighting the, I can't say this word, Chitari. There'll be some comic book geek here who knows that. Chitari, is that right? Excellent, Chitari. Yeah, is that how I say it? Good. Okay. They're firing, fighting the Chitari in New York. If you've no clue what I'm talking about here, please tune out for a minute. Come back. Uh, they're fighting these aliens in New York, and uh, a nuclear missile is fired at everybody in New York to try and get rid of these aliens. And as a substitute sort of for everybody who's going to be destroyed by this missile, Iron Man takes this nuclear missile on his shoulders and carries it through a wormhole into another dimension. It's a great film. And he seems to die himself whilst, whilst saving everybody else and defeating their enemies. And then he like lands on the ground. You think he's dead. And ta-da! He actually has a sort of resurrection. He comes back to life. Now, if you're a Christian, you might think, hmm, that story is a little bit of a rip-off of another story I'm quite familiar with. Someone takes the punishment for someone else, they die, and then they come back to life. And that's because all cultures are constantly echoing the most true and most real story. So Mary Poppins Returns teaches about overtures. Avengers Assemble teaches about echoes. Let's rewind back in time. Even before 1 Peter was written, thousands of years before Jesus, there was a people who lived in slavery and God defeated their enemies with an act of vengeance against their enemies. But they, these people, were saved by the sacrifice of a faultless lamb. And that sacrifice meant they were called to belong to God, safe from slavery forever. Now, at that point in the Bible, what we call the Old Testament, it keeps commenting that no one had ever seen anything like this before. No one had ever seen a God do this for their people before. But 1 Peter, when we get to this, after Jesus, the letter we've had read today, 1 Peter says, that was just the overture. That was a little hint of the tune. He says in what we've just had read, Jesus is the lamb without blemish or defect. He is the one who is sacrificed to save people. The amazing story of God rescuing his people through sacrifice was just the overture. But Christians, we get to hear and participate in and enjoy and even kind of perform in the whole real beautiful symphony. Jesus' precious blood is the perfect sacrifice paid so that anyone who wants to can come back to God. And that story is so good and so beautiful that people, even people who write superhero movies, can't help echoing that one true story. You'll find it everywhere. Once you see it, you can't stop seeing it. Every time you see a hero, it will be the story of the precious one who gave himself or herself in the place of others. It's there in every piece of culture we create. 
Now, if you've been here for the last couple of weeks, you'll remember what's going on in this letter. The Christians Peter is writing to, they've been scattered throughout the world, so they're lonely and they feel alone. And being a Christian is making them feel a bit weird compared to everybody else. Peter says, you feel like foreigners wherever you are. They're feeling awkward and out of place. Peter says they also sometimes people think they're strange for not jumping into the things that everyone else does. They're experiencing actual rejections. It says they're accused of doing wrong. And actually what we saw last week is there are some more fiery trials as well, some really serious persecution happening. They're experiencing all of that from the least to the most serious. And Peter has been saying, listen, I get that. And the temptation is either to abandon being different, you know, just be the same as everyone else, then you won't feel so weird. Everyone will stop hassling you. Or to try and hide in a little Christian bubble where you don't have to deal with the world, you don't feel like a foreigner. And Peter says, no, we saw it in the first verse we looked at today, actually. Keep living here as a stranger. Live out your time as foreigners, aliens, strangers here. Don't fit in. Don't withdraw. And he's going to give us two reasons today why that's worth it. Here's the first one. Embrace strangeness. We're in the real story. Because of this truth that Peter points out, you know, that Christians don't do the same things as other people all the time, sometimes people think Christianity is essentially boring and limiting and makes the world worse because, you know, you're not free to do what you want. You have to live as a stranger. The thing is, I think the opposite is true. If you don't believe there's a God you're accountable to, that's what makes the world worse. Either you think you're accountable to other people. You know, the way to live is to meet other people's expectations. Peers or parents or potential romantic partners. That's the way to live, judged by others, accountable to them. Or you think, I'm not accountable to anybody at all and I can do just what I like all the time. And of course that's a recipe for chaos and disaster and hurts everybody around you. Christians living strangely, foreigners, Peter says, what's different about you in verse 17 is you know there is a God who will judge every action fairly. Now, that could make you a bit sort of judgy and self-righteous. People who just think essentially God's going to judge us all, they can be a bit like not nice to be around, can't they? Policing us all because they think we're going to get judged. But Peter says, the God who's going to judge everybody is a father, not just to judge. The heart of living the way Christians are supposed to live differently is this. You know you're accountable to God above anyone else, but the God you are accountable to is generous, loving, gracious father who's adopted you into his family. We're not going to be judged and influenced by everybody as Christians. We're not going to let other people's expectations of us shape who we are and worry about that all the time. No, because we're accountable to God. 
but we're not going to just do what we like and be horrible to everybody because, you know, we're right with God and you're not, because we want to live out the gracious, loving care of a father that's been shown to us. And why is that? Peter says it's because you were redeemed. Now, that's not a word we use very much anymore. It means to buy back something that always belonged to you in the first place. So uh, it used to be that if you're a bit short of money, you could take your stuff to a pawnbroker. Still, still people do this today. A pawnbroker, they hold it for you and they give you the money and then you try and get more money back and then you go redeem it and get it back to belong to you again. And what was paid, Peter says, to redeem us back to belong to God wasn't money. It wasn't, just like in the overture, the old story in the Bible, it wasn't the blood of a perfect animal. It wasn't even that immensely precious thing that's there in all of the echoes, the life of a human to rescue other people. It was the precious blood of Jesus himself paid to redeem us. That is the Christian message. At this time of year, we, well, all the time really actually at Christchurch, but especially at this time of year, we people visiting who are like, oh, I'm not a Christian or I'm not sure, I'm just sussing it out or I'm working out if I want to be. That is the message, that God himself became a human being so he could die, shed his precious blood to buy us back and belong to God. And it is worth pausing for a moment there. Because occasionally you meet people who think, oh, could I really be a Christian because my past life is so bad? You've no idea how I've come to church today. I'm a terrible person. I couldn't be a Christian. Or you find people who are saying they're Christians, but they're sitting here this morning thinking, yeah, am I really, though? Because you don't know what I did last night, what I did this week. Could I really be included? Well, if you think you pay to belong to God by the good things you do, you're in trouble. Yeah, that's bad news. Anything you bring is stained by your past. And even since you've been a Christian, you probably haven't been doing that good a job, because that's true of all of us. But what if you're redeemed, paid for, by the precious blood of Jesus? That means whoever you are, whatever you've done in years past or today, it's enough to bring you back to God. There's no better payment than that. Now, you can say to God, if you like, no, I don't really think the precious blood of Jesus is enough to bring me back to God. I'm still trying to add to that by doing good things. Why do that? He was a lamb without blemish, perfect in every way. God himself dying for us to pay so we can belong to God. That's enough. You're redeemed, bought back, you belong to God. Sometimes people think, yes, but yes, I want to keep responding by, you know, showing that I'm doing good stuff and paying, paying God back for what I've done. Here's some place where some of us older people might know the word redeem. One day, sometime in the future, if you have a mortgage, you will finish paying your mortgage. Amazing. Mortgage is the French for death grip. Just putting that out there. And if you have a mortgage, you'll know the feeling. One day in the future, you will finish paying the bank back for your house and you will have redeemed your house and it will belong to you. 
The payment is enough. The house is yours. When that day comes, I will not be going back to the bank and saying, yes, but I really, really love the house. Can I pay you a bit more to show how much I love the house? No, of course I won't be doing that. I'll be saying, wow, the payment's done. Redeemed. The house is mine. And that's the invitation when we trust Jesus. Redeemed by his precious blood. There's no better or further payment. And more than that, Peter says, this plan of God's to buy people back, to belong to him, was planned long before time began. And it's revealed to us now. It's the thing about God's plans, isn't it? God can make plans and do them, and he doesn't really need to tell us. But Peter says, for your sake, Jesus revealed it so you could see it. And through him, God's perfect son, who was raised from the dead, if you're redeemed by Jesus, you are connected perfectly to God. Your faith and hope are in God. You're utterly bound, close to the God who made you, if you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus. Well, what has that got to do with feeling like an alien and a stranger in the world? I think it's this. Peter understands us. We can see that having our lives shaped by the expectations of others is pretty miserable. Maybe that's where you're at at the moment and you're discovering it's miserable. Always worrying about what other people think of you. And we can see that just making your own decisions all the time is not real freedom. It's a grim way to live and it makes you selfish and horrible. The thing that's difficult about those two things is this. It's not that they're attractive. It's they're what everybody is doing. Everyone around us is living to that set of expectations, either of other people or just doing what they want. And so the pressure is real. And that's hard, even if we can see sensibly that it's not good. Tell you what makes it harder, the media and people around us, maybe your family, maybe your friends, think the choices you're making as a Christian are weird. The Christian ethic of thinking what God thinks matters more than everything. You know, it matters more than my mental health. What God thinks matters more than my happiness. It matters more than other people's expectations of me. It matters more than what I was told in that equality and diversity session. It matters more than how much money I make or how successful I am. Believing that what God thinks matters more is tiring. It's exhausting. When you're constantly having to step out of the way that everybody else is living. And at worst, it can actually get you into trouble. Stepping out of that expectation. But Peter is saying to us, listen, when you feel like that, remember, it wasn't just that God slipped some spare change and you kind of belonged to him a little bit. So try a bit to, you know, not be the same. He's saying he gave the precious blood of his son, Jesus. He planned that before all of creation. The story we tell is that you, if you trust in Jesus right now, are connected in a real life-giving way to the God who made everything and raises people from the dead. Believing that, it's worth feeling a bit weird. I get it's hard, but it's worth it. Think of another film you might know, Frodo. Again, if, I'm not going to explain the whole plot of this film, because how long have I got? 
it's three long films. <laughs> Could have been shorter, in my view. Anyway, Frodo is given the ring of power, and he has to take it to the cracks of doom and get rid of the ring. That's the gist. Everybody around Frodo, through that movie, basically keeps saying to him, use the ring. Use it for yourself. And he is this solitary figure. Well, he's got his friend Sam, the two of them. These solitary figure who step out of that weirdly to walk up this mountain. I mean, that's, that's under, underselling the drama of the story, isn't it? It's more than a hike. <laughs> and all the powers of the world, the orcs and the armies and the governments, think what Frodo is doing is crazy. Yet we know, as the watchers, he's right. Because it is the best most loving plan that has the capacity to change that broken world they're all living in. And so we're rooting for Frodo because we know the significance of the plan. That's the view you need of being a Christian when you feel weird. It is weird. People think it's weird. You're stepping out of normality by living as a Christian. But it's worth it because the plan you're participating in is so huge. I don't know what is happening to you at the moment that's making you feel weird as a Christian. A few years ago in church, um, we've got a lot of doctors here, you might have noticed, uh, a doctor came to talk to me about some very technical thing I couldn't really understand, but basically saying, I'm not sure what the ethical thing to do is in this situation. And I was like, I don't even understand what you're talking about, so I don't know. But here's what I think. You need to work out are you just being awkward? Like, is this just a sensibility? I'm not quite sure I feel comfortable with it. That's not a good reason to not do something that might help other people. It, or is it necessary to obey and honour God who gave the most precious thing he could so you now belong to him as a plan that started before the beginning of time? Now, if you're just being awkward, stop being awkward. But if this is obedience, given how much bigger and better this is than, you know, whoever's pressuring you, your doctor boss, your NHS manager, whoever it is, choose strangeness. Embrace weirdness. Because it's part of something bigger. So where is it awkward or tricky for you to live as a Christian at the moment? Peter is calling you to feel strange. It feels now like all the normal people are thinking you're the strange one. We need to realise what people think is normal changes like that overnight. Ten years ago what people thought was normal was different to now. You feel like you're the strange one, but in fact there's one eternal story planned before time. The overture was played thousands of years ago in history when the people of Israel escaped from Egypt. And it's the tune that every single human being is echoing. And you're part of that. Belonging closely and personally to the real God because he gave the most precious thing he had to include you. That is what we need to think about when we feel strange. Second thing we're going to see... Be strange by loving. God's word lasts longer than human fears. Okay, if you're here and you're not a Christian, you might be thinking, 
This talk is the last thing that my Christian friends need. They need no more encouragement to be strange. And here I googled strange Christians, and here are some things I came up with that Christians do that are strange and are not necessary. I'm underlining. These are not good examples. Okay, making this clear. Uh, this is a picture of someone holding a crucifix and sh- a Bible and shouting at someone in the street. Okay, strange, not necessary. You need to buy into that. This is a piece of artwork. I love this. It's like the heart of Jesus, but coming out of Jesus' heart is red, white, and blue light. I'll let you guess where in the world that piece of art comes from. (laughs) Or this one. I mean, Christians love a bad hoodie, don't they? (laughs) This one is an actual hoodie you can buy which says on it, awesome Christian. It's like if you think you should wear a hoodie saying awesome Christian, you're not an awesome Christian. (laughs) Humility is a key part of what we're doing here. So anyway, lots of ways Christians are strange. They don't need to be strange. They're not really reflecting this relationship we have with God. They're just trying to be weird. And we're not calling you to that today. Don't try and be strange and alienate people. Peter is saying you will find yourself not making the same uh, choices as people around you because you're accountable to God. That will be uncomfortable. He has one specific way in mind. Look at these verses. I've highlighted some words. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so now that you are already set apart and pure and right with God when you trust Jesus, that means you already have sincere love for one another. So if you're a Christian, you already have a real family in the church. You have that from the moment you trust Jesus. But that's not enough, he says. Now love one another Deeply from the heart. See what he's saying? Already you are pure and right with God. Already, if that's the case, you'll be experiencing brotherly, sisterly love with people in the church. But don't just sit there and experience that. Set yourself to love other Christians deeply from the heart. Now, a few things it's not saying. To be clear, it's not saying love other Christians so you can be more pure, so you can be more right with God. See, it's saying the exact opposite of that. You're already pure and right with God, so there's no risk here of you not being a good enough Christian. Neither is it saying, and I think this is where lots of us are, yeah, the Christian community is really great, and I'm just going to settle for being part of it. You know, I come to church, and isn't it nice that we have this? But that's not the end. Once you have that, work on loving other people deeply from the heart. And maybe you're listening to this and you're saying, yes, of course, I am very good at loving other Christians. I do lots of nice things for them. I serve other people and I do lots of practical stuff. That's very good. Please keep doing that. But it's not what is being described here. That is not loving deeply from the heart. He says, build deep relationships of feeling and commitment out of the natural brotherhood the gospel gives. So you have been purified. You already get the experience of being a family. Now work on loving deeply other Christians. Many of us think it's nice to be part of a nice community. It's amazing. But as we're really purified and really belonging to God who gave his precious son for us, We will also want to say, 
I'm going to develop deep, heartfelt love for the people in my church. Not just buzz off the community. That's a given. You will find that actually as a Christian if you go anywhere in the world. You probably find this. You land somewhere you don't know anybody and you meet other Christians and it's like, wow, instant connection, family. It's an amazing thing that God does, but God's like, that's not there just so you can bathe in it. Build deep relationships from the heart. No, that is certainly not going to happen if you just drift in and out of services sometimes. Or if you shop around lots of churches. Or if the pinnacle of your church involvement is like just sitting here listening to me. I mean, I hope you're enjoying that. But it's not going to help you love other people deeply from the heart, just listening to me. Um, may not even be helping you love me deeply from the heart. <laughs> Here's one way he suggests you can put that into practice at the start of verse 2. He says, chase out all the negative things that you feel about other people. Rid yourselves of those. He gives a list. Stop disliking other Christians. Stop lying to other Christians. I think that one's very interesting, chapter 2, verse 1. In a few minutes, we're going to have coffee together. There'll be some people who like just run away because they're like, I don't like the Christians here. I dislike them. That's fine. But you're not going to build deep relationships of love. There are other people who will stay and talk, but what we will do is lie. We'll pretend to be better people than we are. Or we will not reveal the real truth about ourselves. That's not going to help you love people deeply from the heart. Rid yourself, he says, of that type of pretending. Or I wonder how much you come into church and immediately see what other people have that you don't. A relationship that you would like. Or a lifestyle that you'd like. Or they seem to be in the in crowd and you're not. He says, rid yourself of envy, because you can't be envying someone and also loving them deeply from the heart. The two things don't go together. Sincere, deep love, heartfelt relationships with people doesn't go along with thinking and doing negative things about people. Now, when you talk to people about things like this, they always want to explain their negative reactions. Always say, oh, yes. I had a bad experience with church once, so I always pretend with Christians. Or uh, I came to your church once and people weren't very friendly, so now I don't really like the people here. Do you notice Peter just says, rid yourself. That you do the work and chasing that out. We don't justify, we rid. Any dieter will tell you, though, that just stopping something that seems normal and tasty is hard... Peter says it's not just that, it's that you have actually in your life tasted something that's different. Anyone who's been a Christian any length of time has experienced at some time you've been with people who, like you, know they are saved by God's kindness. You've been with people like that, who know they get things wrong, know they are loved, share one Holy Spirit and love for Jesus. And you've just experienced the, the purity, the reality of those relationships. And it feeds you to be like, yeah, we're all on one page and I'm so loved and known and understood and I feel that connection to others. Knowing the Lord does that. 
Peter says, rid yourselves of competing and criticizing and being jealous of other Christians and pursue that God-given, satisfying, deep, real depth of relationship. Because sometime you have experienced that. If you've been a Christian any length of time, you can think back and think, yes, in that moment, I felt so connected. He says, pursue that pure spiritual milk. That's going to mean getting rid of the stuff that would stop it. And of course, that's what everyone really wants, isn't it? No one wants to be shallow. No one likes disliking other people. No one really enjoys having to put on a face and pretend someone that they're not. Well, stop it then. Stop and enjoy that pure, satisfying, spiritual connection with God that comes through friendship. You know, uh, I used to be part of a Bible study, and there was, uh, years ago, not in this church, and there was someone on the fringes of the Bible study, and I remember she stopped coming, and I met her in the street, and I said, oh, why'd you stop coming to focus? And she said, oh, I felt very judged by everybody there. Not maybe someone there had been horrible to her, I don't know. But it seems to me, Peter's saying, if you head in thinking, I feel that about everybody here, strangely, you're not going to make any real deep connection. If you rid yourself of pretending, hiding, dislike, malice, there's a chance of this pure spiritual milk that you can enjoy. Perhaps you've joined a new small group recently and you sit there thinking I'm too nervous to speak I get it wrong I don't know as much as them it's just pretending it's letting deceit or envy stop you entering into the joy there is in sharing over the gospel together it's amazing how many of us are happy to settle for letting our concerns about what people think of us Stop us entering into the reality of those relationships we once tasted. What a silly decision. People knows that develop, Peter knows though, that developing sincere love is an effort. And so he seems to randomly go off on one, quoting a depressing passage about death that we usually tend to read at funerals. I think what he's saying is this. When he says, all people are like grass and their glory is like the forest of the field, he's saying this to you, listen, people are passing. That person's view of you, why let that shape your life? When people come and go like that. What wrong they may have done against you, their opinion of you, that's all the actions and opinions of someone who is soon to wither and fall. In that sense, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything. Unlike God's words, which last forever, God's word saves people into churches that love each other. And that love lasts eternally. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about much that we take from this creation into the new creation God is bringing. But one of the things we do take is the love we shared with each other now. There's a phrase that British people use. Some people here are new to Britain. I'm going to introduce you to a new phrase. In the grand scheme of things. It's 
basically saying, you know, my mum says a lot, I moan at her about something for ages and ages, and she says, yes, Morris, but in the grand scheme of things, does it matter? Like, in the major important things of life, does the way that person offended you really matter? With everything that's going on in the world that you feel judged by that person, does it matter that much? With everything that's unfolding in history, does it really matter that that person said or did that thing that you're carrying with you? It doesn't. Because they are like grass that will wither and fall. It is to trust God's eternal word and participate with him in his plan that goes from beginning to end. And we do that by loving each other deeply. If you are struggling with your spouse, the grand scheme is that all marriages point to Jesus. So rid yourself of malice and envy and let go of the ways they're hurting you. If you're shy of letting people know you, the grand scheme is that we're going to be together for eternity, so let some people in. If you're too busy to build this sincere love, is it that you're spending your time building on things that will fade and fall when God's eternal word calls you to this lasting mission? Peter gets that Christians can be hard to love. We've tasted this sometimes, but sometimes it doesn't always taste that good. Relationships. But he says, why let people who fade and fall stop you building what will last forever? Now, uh, we get to participate in that tune of how we've been loved by loving others. Uh, The verse Uh, Peter uses is taste and see that the Lord is good and one of the ways we do that is by sharing communion together an amazing picture that Jesus gave us where we actually taste and see now the with the gluten-free bread the picture of tasting that it's good breaks down a little bit okay I'm with you there Jesus tastes better than gluten-free bread put that on Instagram for today's service But what communion is allowing us to do is to ponder and experience. Do we really believe we are loved with the blood of God's most precious son? Do we stand and sit here today actually redeemed, really belonging to that God? Has he really drawn us into the only eternal story, the one everybody is echoing? Does he love us like that? As we taste bread and wine, what we're saying is, I want to take that as deeply into me as it can go. That Jesus truly connects us to the real God who loves us. And so I want to move from just being in pleasant fellowship to ridding myself of what ruins relationships. I want to love sincerely from the heart because I've tasted, really tasted, that that is the way that God loves me. Let's pray together.
We thank you, Lord, for the precious blood of Jesus. And we pray, please help us know our full, complete redemption in him. And so as we step into that, help us not just sit in happy fellowship, but love one another deeply, rid ourselves of what's getting in the way of that, and taste this pure spiritual milk that we get from loving others the way you've loved us.